on the screen, you see this incredibly beautiful painting. It is, the title of the painting technically is The Adoration of the Mystic Lamb of God. It is also known as the Ghent Altarpiece. It's found in St. Bevo's Cathedral in Ghent, Belgium. The artists were Hubert and Johannes van Eck, Flemish painters. The painting was dedicated in the cathedral in 1432. In the history of art, this is considered one of the masterpieces of European art and truly one of the world's treasures. The intricacy of the painting, you can't even see it. You really have to go and and look uh, at much better reliefs of this. But what it is, it's an artistic rendering of the mystery of the Eucharist in the historic liturgy. In fact, the liturgy is embedded into this, and this sets against the high altar. And and in the center, as you can see, is the Lamb of God standing on what appears to be an altar who was slain, yet he lives, and his blood is being poured into a chalice. Around the altar are the angels and the archangels, the cherubim and the seraphim, and the hosts and saints of heaven, all worshiping the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It truly is not only a magnificent piece of art, but it is a theological masterpiece. And how fitting it is as we look at the doctrine of the sacrament of the altar. In 1529, Luther had taken a journey throughout Bavaria and Saxony and discovered the complete ignorance of Christian doctrine among the lay people, even among the clergy, the priests in the various parishes. He was so moved that he gave to the church one of his greatest gifts, which was the small catechism that he penned. Small catechism was to be a teaching manual for parents to instruct their children as to the fundamental principles of the Christian faith. What I'd like you to do is open with me to the sixth chief part, which is found in our Lutheran service book, and that is found on page 326. Now, those of you who know this by heart, you don't have to open the catechism, but I refer to you this anyways, this page. And if you would look with me on the sacrament of the altar, again, as Luther says, as the head of the family should teach in simple way to his household, and he asks now the question, what is the sacrament of the altar? Let's read his explanation together. It is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. Now, Luther chose very carefully these words, but not only that, you can kind of pass it by, but I'd like to just see how he named this section, the sixth chief part of the catechism. He named it the sacrament of what? The altar. He did not name this Holy Communion, nor the Lord's Supper, nor the breaking of bread, nor the Holy Eucharist. Now, there is nothing wrong with any of those titles, and we use them all. But it's very significant that uh, Dr. Luther used this title 
And if you know anything about the history of what was going on at the time, it is very significant. Luther chose this ancient Catholic term, the sacrament of the altar. Luther desired to bring the church's focus back to the centrality of Jesus Christ and what he did on the altar of the cross for our salvation, and not only that, what he does for us now on the altars in every parish throughout the land. Luther did not want ever to create a new church, especially one named after him. He did not ever want to develop a new mass, create a brand new liturgy for God's people. The ancient mass coming to us from the second and third centuries was good enough for Luther. But, in fact, there were many other Protestant theologians who exactly wanted to do that. These voices advocated not only destroying altars and the artwork, the tabernacles, the chalices, all of this in the church, but even more to fundamentally change the apostolic teaching that the true body and blood of Jesus Christ under the bread and wine is present for us Christians and is distributed and offered to us from the priest's hand. Jesus is the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world and restores our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So is it any wonder that Luther would choose the title, the sacrament of the altar? Because the altar becomes the central place of the Christian worship. For on that altar we are not only reminded, but we even receive the very sacrifice offered for us on Calvary's cross, instituted by Christ Himself. As you can see, when he asks the question, where is this written in the small catechism, he then says, just follow along as I read, the holy evangelists Matthew, Mark, Luke, and St. Paul write, our Lord Jesus Christ on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is My body which is given for you, This do in remembrance of me, in the same way he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, of all of the pieces that we find in the artwork of our church, there is none more central in which the entire congregation is focused on, but what? The altar. The orientation of the pews. Everything centers on our altar. And this was purposeful because it points us to Christ and to the very gift of life He gives to His church in the celebration of His most precious body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Little over a year after Luther had penned his small catechism, the Pope wanted a statement of confession of these, you know, Lutherans, basically. They never called Lutherans at this point, except by the Catholics. The Catholics, Roman Catholics, called us Lutherans. Uh, We called ourselves evangelical Catholics at the time. There was the Augsburg Confession. We're going to hear about this in a few weeks as we celebrate the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. But in the 10th article, you can see 
It's a very short article, one sentence. Just follow along as I read. Concerning the supper of our Lord, our pastors teach that the body and blood of Christ are truly present under the form of bread and wine and are distributed to those who eat in the Lord's Supper. The 16th century Lutheran reformers confessed the same apostolic faith that the church had confessed up to that point throughout the centuries, that the full humanity and the full deity, the flesh and soul, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, born of Mary, son of the everlasting Father, is truly and substantially present in the consecrated wine and bread of the altar, and it remains so and should be treated with the highest dignity and honor. This is the very reason that we are Lutherans and not some other Protestant denomination. We have to understand this. It was this doctrine, the sacrament of the altar and its teaching, that the Lutheran reformers would not compromise with Ulrich Zwingli, with John Calvin, fathers basically of all rest of Protestantism. We insisted, as the church had historically done, that when the priest consecrates the bread and the wine on the altar, it becomes for us what? The true body and blood of Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread and wine. Now, some may ask this question. Oh, come on. Really? Is it that important? Can't we just all get along? I mean, really? Seriously? Isn't just Jesus enough? (laughs) Absolutely Jesus is enough. But what did Jesus say when he took the bread and when he took the chalice? He didn't say this represents. He didn't say this symbolizes. He said what? This is. Either you believe Jesus or you don't. That's exactly what Luther and the Reformers said. Regrettably, I find this very question among, in my ministry, Lutherans who ask that especially some Lutherans who have come from Lutheran churches where the celebration of the sacrament of the altar is almost sidelined. I mean, it's not the most important thing on a Sunday that the congregation does. And in fact, in some of these Lutheran churches that I have visited, the altar is replaced by a lead singer and a praise band. And the historic mass of the church, the liturgy that has been a gift to us from ancient times, has been replaced by a string of praise songs. Now, anybody who's been at Trinity a while knows that I have no objection to different forms of music, like today, okay? But I do object when the Mass, the liturgy, is no longer present among us. In fact, the Augsburg Reformers said in Article 24... Our opponents, in other words, the papists, the Roman Catholics, accused us of abolishing the Mass. And you know what the Reformers said? The Mass is celebrated among us with more dignity than among our opponents' churches because our people know what they're doing. Because the one change that Luther made is that he did translate the Mass into German. 
for the language of the people so the people could understand its significance. It does matter what we do and how we worship. During the great Christological controversies that raged throughout the church from the second to almost the seventh century, with the final council being the seventh council, in which that council, incidentally, was the, it was the council that said, no, pictures are allowable. The icons of the church are allowed because God became a human being in the person of Jesus. Therefore, human representation of Christ is permitted. And one of the sayings of the ancient church fathers, the patristic fathers, is right up on the screen there. It says, lex orande, lex credande, which means the law. Literally translated, it's Latin, the law of prayer is the law of belief. Which basically, in in another way of saying it, is the way we worship is what we believe. So if we really don't believe bread, just it's bread and wine, we can treat that just like anything. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it spills. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anyway. You know, Luther, when he got older, there's an interesting story. He was he was giving communion, and uh, some woman who was receiving the chalice, the, the sacred blood of Christ, somehow he stumbled, and some of the blood of Christ fell on her garment. Her, she was wearing a coat. And again, there was no central heating, and this was in the winter, so she had this big coat on. He ordered that her coat be immediately taken off and burned. Such was his reverence for the sacred sacraments of the body and blood of Christ. Lex orande, lex credande. What we believe is true, we should also practice So do we really believe that in this liturgy, when Pastor Melky consecrates the bread and the wine on the altar, that it truly becomes the Lamb of God, the body and blood of Christ? Ever since I was ordained and ever since I have celebrated the sacrament of the altar, I am always in a state of awe, deeply of the gift of And that is why I kneel. That's why we kneel, genuflect. How many people who encountered the living Christ in His mercy fell down before Him because they knew what they received. Lex orande, lex credande. It is more than just passing through catechism class and being confirmed. Much more than that. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, We preach Christ crucified. Is it any wonder that above our altar is an incredible, incredible image of the crucified one? The very gift that he did once and for all, bloodied on a cross, is now commemorated and offered to us in an unbloody manner through His very own words. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. On this Sunday that we celebrate the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ, we remember His true and living presence among us. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This blessed sacrament confirms that gift. 
the Apostle Paul in Corinthians would write these words. Let's read them together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until He comes. I am convinced, brothers and sisters, and I've said this for a long, long time, these churches that have given up the liturgy, have given up the sacrament of the altar, have given up the historic liturgy of the Mass, they no longer anchor themselves in the gift that Christ gives to us. As Paul says here, you proclaim the death of the Lord. I hear a lot of other proclamations. I listen to other sermons. I listen to what goes on. And I hear a lot of self-help. I hear a lot of things. And a lot of good, I mean, not bad things. You know how you too can be a better person. You improve your life. Nothing wrong with that. When I come to church, I want to hear about Jesus. I want to hear about how he's working in my life. But even more, I don't want to hear how much I can do for God, but what he has what? Done for me. And that becomes no clearer than in these Gifts on the altar, the greatest gift of all, the treasure of the Father's heart to us. It is His sacrifice that has made our peace with our Heavenly Father. It is no wonder then from the ancient times that after the consecration and the Eucharistic prayer, which I would invite you to listen closely as the Eucharistic prayer is prayed today, an ancient Eucharistic prayer coming from the early church. That after that Eucharist is now consecrated, the very sacrament of the body and blood of Christ is there. All of us now stand because we are all of the priesthood. And we all now pray in boldness before our Father. The prayer that Jesus taught us because He has taught us to come boldly to our Father in heaven. And He hears us for the very one who is present on the altar For through Jesus and His sacrifice, we can approach heaven. Without Him, we cannot. The only thing we can offer the Father is what He has given us. Through His Son, we come to Him. And you'll hear that in the Eucharistic prayer. I think, as we close, I want us to just look at Dr. Luther's wonderful teaching to us as we prepare to celebrate the most holy supper of our Lord. Let's look on page 327, his three final questions. 327, what is the benefit of this eating and drinking? Let's read together. These words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, show us that in the sacrament, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation are given us through these words. For where there is forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. Luther asks, how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things together? Certainly not just eating and drinking do these things, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words, along with the bodily eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. Who receives this sacrament worthily? Together. Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training, but the person is truly worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. 
But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared, for the words for you require all hearts to believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand. Join me.